prey. Gracious Father, we thank you for how great you are. We thank you, Father God, that thou art a wonderful and loving God. We thank you that we can come here today to worship you. We thank you that love did find a way to save us as wretched sinners. We thank you today that we can rejoice in the knowledge that we have salvation in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Father God, now as we come to your word that you would quieten our hearts you would take away the distractions and you would focus our attention firmly upon the word of God. May the spirit of God this day take the word of God and apply it to our hearts and lives. I pray that you help me, Father God, as your servant to be used of you, to speak your word in truth. Help me to say only those things you would have me to say. May we leave this place this day singing your praise, knowing that we've been in your presence and giving thanks unto you. Bless now we pray as we spend this time in your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. As we come to Romans chapter 1 and verse 19 and following, the trial of mankind is about to begin. God the Holy Judge is sitting on the bench and he holds in his hands a copy of his perfect law, the word of God. The prosecution, the Apostle Paul and the defense take their place before the judge. The witnesses for both the prosecution and the defense await their call to the stand. As we look into the court, we see the first defendant enters the court and awaits the trial. He is the heathen sinner. And he represents millions around the world who may never have heard the gospel. And so as we look at this trial, we see firstly the defense counsel. In verse 18 to 20, we read this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The defense counsel endeavors to prove the innocence of his defendant, the truth of the matter is the defense counsel really is the devil himself. He pronounces man not guilty. As he did in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, he speaks against God. Remember, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, speaking of Eve, he said that God had lied. He said, you know, hath God said this? And she said, no, we're not allowed to eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the day the way it is, thou of we shall surely die. And he says, thou shalt not surely die. God knows that you'll know both good and evil, and you should be as gods. He questioned the very word of God. And we can see underlying this passage of Scripture that the, the opposite, the reason why Paul's writing this is because there are people who are declaring that mankind is innocent. And the Apostle Paul, the Lord himself, through the word of God here, is seeking to show to you and I that mankind is indeed guilty. The defendant, in this case, is the world or all of mankind. And in these three chapters, chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, we have all of mankind represented by three groups of people. There's the heathen sinner, which is what we're going to start to look at today. There's the civilized sinner. And then there's the religious sinner. 
The first defendant that stands before the judge here in these verses is the heathen sinner. And the defense effectively declares that man is not guilty because they knew not God. In verse 19 we read, But that which may be made known of God is manifest, for God hath showed it unto them. From the visible things of creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power of God had, so that they are without excuse. In verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The defense, the defense for this sinner is indeed that they knew not God. That man is ignorant of right and wrong. Even though he's committed nearly every known sin, he's not guilty because he never knew God. He never heard that there was even a God. And since he has never knew there was a God, since he had never heard that there was a God, what he did was he made idols and worshipped them, worshipped these idols of wood and stone. Look in verse 23, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them unto un up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God and the lion, worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They never knew God, therefore they created idols and they worshipped the idols of wood and stone made after the fashion of the creature rather than the creator. And he even offered sacrifices to these animals, uh, these statues, these uh, idols. He bows down before them, he, he has, a, he has a, a worship of a God. Surely that's enough for him to be found not guilty. Surely that's enough for him to be acquitted of all the charges against him. Mankind has done his best. Given his ignorance, he's done his best. Surely God should accept that. You know, there are millions of heathen sinners in the world today. Millions around the world who worship gods but do not worship the true and living God. Millions around the world who will bow down before idols of wood and stone. They'll offer up sacrifices to those idols and they will worship them. And it would be that they are their defense when they stand before the judgment is that they were ignorant of the fact there was a God, but they worship these gods. Surely that's sufficient them to acquit it. Satan's argument's the same for the acquittal of men today. He still contends because some men have never heard they are not guilty. They're unreached, they're unheard, therefore they cannot be found guilty before a holy God. As we'll see, God says there was that excuse in verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and God had so that they are without excuse. You see, they were without excuse because they did know God. Verse 19 tells us that. Because when that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. 
God had made himself known unto man. But they glorified him not as God. Verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And verse 18 tells us that they held down the truth and unrighteousness. They suppressed the truth. You see, human history began with man knowing God. History reveals to us that man was not a beast who worshipped idols and then evolved into a man who worshipped God. The opposite is true. Man knew God and then rejected God and then moved into worshipping idols. You and I should be on no illusion that somehow back in history that man originally worshipped idols and this belief in a God, a supreme being that created all things, is a late date idea. The reality is, according to God's word, that all mankind knew God and then man rejected God and became worshippers of idols. They suppressed the truth. And as a result, man turned to idols. Mankind had their opportunity. And mankind today still had their opportunity through the witness of creation, which we're going to see shortly. But as far as God is concerned, ignorance is no plea. When man stands before the judgment seat and, and stands before God Almighty, there before the great white throne, ignorance will not be a plea. I worshipped idols because I didn't know you existed will not fly with God. Because in rejecting the knowledge that God has given them of himself, they've rejected God's means of salvation. Look in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, please. Romans 3.10. As is written, there is none righteous, none at one. There is none that understand, there is none that seek after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together, they are together, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asses under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, there's none righteous, no, not one. They've all condemned Mankind is all guilty before a holy God. They've neglected to make the great decision of all time. They've rejected God. Instead of embracing that there is a God who created all things, they rejected God, and in rejecting Him, they rejected God's means of salvation. And to do that means judgment. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. Because the book of Hebrews poses a very interesting question. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The great evangelist Billy Sunday said that this question is unanswerable for there is no escape if we neglect so great salvation. 
These heathen sinners are neglecting God. And in neglecting and rejecting God, they are rejecting and neglecting God's salvation. The salvation that God offers to them through Jesus Christ. But because they reject God, they will never know about the Savior. They simply did not want to know God and did not want to know His salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2 declares, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And Paul effectively here in Romans chapter 1 states that failure to accept God's now and to reject God is just cause to judge mankind and condemn them to hell. You see, Paul argues that all men are without excuse, as he says there at the end of verse 20, so that they are without excuse. As I said before, ignorance in the eyes of God is no excuse. Mankind is a sinner in need of a saviour. And that very truth alone is challenged to you and I as believers. That's why you and I must go with the gospel to tell them about Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. You see, if ignorance is a reliable plea, then there is no need for us to go and tell them of the Savior. In fact, it would be far better to leave them alone, wouldn't it? Those people living in the darkest Africa, those living in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, those people living in the jungles of Vanuatu and another place around the world, it's better that you and I don't go to them because if ignorance is a plea, then better that they are ignorant of the fact that there is a God in heaven and ignorant of the fact there is a Savior who can save them because they can stand before the great white throne and they can plead ignorance and God will let them into heaven. If ignorance is a plea, then you and I have no responsibility to tell anybody about Jesus Christ. If ignorance is a plea, then God is wrong in telling you and I to go. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witness unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Why did God challenge the early church, and indeed you and I, to go into Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the other parts of the earth, if ignorance is a plea? Surely the first Christians there in Jerusalem have been better off staying in Jerusalem. I mean, the moment they got to Antioch, they'd blown it for the people of Antioch. When Paul got to Corinth, he blew it for the Corinthians, he blew it for the Thessalonians, he blew it for the Colossians. He'd have been better off staying at home, wouldn't he? But you see, God tells us to go because ignorance is not a plea. Ignorance is not a reliable defense. You and I have to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel, teach them to observe all things what I have commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You and I need to go into all the world. Because mankind needs to hear. Because ignorance is not a plea. To continue to listen to the trial, you see next the prosecution rises in verses 19 to 20 again. Paul is the prosecution lawyer in this scene. And as he rises, he disagrees with the defense. And he accuses the defendant of being guilty before God. 
Once again, declaring that ignorance is no excuse for the failure to turn to God. He says no one can escape the wrath of God. In verse 18 we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness and unrighteous men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. The wrath of God is upon all those people who suppress the truth of God. Who hold down the truth of God in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is upon them. In this courtroom scene, the prosecution is declaring that they are indeed guilty. Those who are ignorant of the knowledge of God are guilty before a holy God because they themselves are suppressing the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. And to prove this, he calls his first witness to the stand. That is none other than the whole creation of God. Here in verses 19 and following. In verse 19 and 20 we read, Because that which was maybe known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, God never inflicts punishment upon people unfairly or without reason. I mean, God is a just God. God is not unjust in his dealings with mankind. Nobody's going to be able to stand before the great white throne and accuse God of being unfair, of being unjust, of enacting judgment unfairly upon anybody. Nobody's going to be able to stand there in that day because God is just and that's why the apostle Paul can declare here in verse 20 that man is with excuse because the truth is God has made himself known to mankind look at verse 19 because that which may be known of God is manifested in them for God has shown it unto them Man's with an excuse because God has made himself known to man. Nobody's going to be able to stand before the great white throne judgment of God and be able to declare that they didn't know there was a God because God said, I have made it abundantly clear that I exist. He's he, God has manifested to mankind. God has showed it unto mankind. He has declared that he exists. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 explains one of the ways that God has made himself known to man. Creation. Look at the beginning of verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. The whole creation of God declares the existence of God. And Paul declares here that all of mankind should know there's a God because creation reveals, declares the glory of God so people can see God. In one sense, it's true to say that instinctively man believes in God. I mean, why do men 
make idols out of wood and stone? Why do people feel the need to worship something? It's because instinctively they know there is a God. Now we're more refined about it in Western culture. Not many people in Western cultures have little idols that they actually bow down and worship. Mind you, there are some denominations whereby that's exactly what they do. They bow down and worship idols of Mary and the crucifix and so on. But generally speaking, in our population, many people don't physically bow down before idols, but they are idol worshippers. Man instinctively believes in God. You know, atheism is unnatural. Because man is going against his inclination to believe in atheism, to believe there is no God. God declares that through creation, man can see God. Psalm 19 verse 1 says that, doesn't it? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. So what's been said here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 is that reason argues for the existence of God. If people would rationally think through the evidence, there is only one conclusion, and that is that there's a God in heaven. Reason says that God exists because creation exists. But mankind rejects that reasoning and asks, where did we come from? And how did we get here? Instead of accepting the clear evidence of creation, and everywhere around us we see the evidence of creation, and a reason tells you that this must have been created. It could not have happened by chance. When you look at a blade of grass, you look at the flowers that grow, look at the trees that grow, look at the heavenly bodies, look at all the stars in the universe. We can see more of now than we've ever seen before because of things like the Hubble telescope. We know the heavenly bodies. How did all those things just happen by chance? There are so many variables in chance that it's it's, it's beyond scope of reason that it could have happened that way. And any scientist who genuinely sits down and works at the probability of all this happening by chance would come to the conclusion it could not happen by chance. It has to have happened by design. Too many things go wrong with chance. There's things within our bodies, little, little machines that go around building parts of our DNA, etc. And, and they, 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 have a, they have a little motor on them and they go through and they collect things and they're like these little machines that go around picking up bits and parts and putting them in. And if these little parts don't all come together in this tiny little thing, if they're not all present, then we're in trouble. The problem is, if it evolved, how did you and I evolve without it evolving first? See, it has to evolve so that you and I could be what we are. If any parts of those are missing, then we go nowhere. 
it, it's beyond comprehension. You sit down and think through rationally, even though you may not understand all the dynamics of creation, it's irrational to believe that by chance it could have all happened, yet man would rather believe in evolution than to believe in creation. Man would rather believe in the Big Bang than to believe it all came about by God. I mean, the Big Bang's so irrational. Where did the Big Bang come from? I mean, you've got to have something for it to explode. You can't, an explosion can't happen in nothing. I heard a scientist once ask that, be asked that question, where did the Big Bang come from? And he answered, from the Little Bang. And I thought to myself, okay, well, my next question would be, the, the commentator on the radio uh, it didn't actually answer the next question. My next question would be, well, where did the little bang come from? I mean, the question is the same, no matter how big the bang is. If there's a bang of any sorts, it had to have come from something. You, there's always this cause and effect. That's science. The effect of the bang had a cause. What was the cause? Men would believe in some other fantasy rather than believe in creation for the explanation of the origin of man. But you know, evolution and the Big Bang Theory are not rational, they're really absurd. The evidence does not support such beliefs, and by the way, it is a system of belief. By faith they believe it happened, by evolution. They weren't there to see it, so it's not scientific fact, because science says you must be able to reproduce something in the laboratory for it to be scientific fact. It's a belief. They believe that it all evolved as much as you and I believe it came by the Almighty God. But they simply deny it. Evolution simply represents the ends that men will go to to deny the truth, to deny there is a God. As I said, every effect must have a cause. So what caused all the things that you and I can see around us? Well, the cause of all that we see is creation. is God himself. He's the cause of the creative work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a great way to start a book, eh? In the beginning, God. The book of Genesis presupposes that God exists. He doesn't even prove his existence. He simply says, in the beginning, God. And everything that follows makes sense once you believe in God. <laughs> it's only plausible. All we see is only plausible if Genesis 1-1 is true. And Romans 1-20, the Apostle Paul, prosecuting his case, declares that the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And verse, one, verse 20 here tells us exactly what creation reveals to us about God. It firstly reveals to us, according to the end of the verse there, even as eternal power. Creation reveals to you and I the eternal power of God. From creation onward, God's person has been seen in the things he created. 
If you want to know how powerful God is, look at his creation. Just, just stand and watch the waves of the ocean come in upon the rocky outcrops and see the force of those waves and realize that it's God who put them there and it's God who holds them back. Look at the stars in the heavens and realize it's God who put them there and holds them there. So they don't come crashing into our planet and destroy us. Sit and look at the birds. I thought we were talking about this the other day. I thought about how many different varieties of birds God created with different songs, different colours, different sizes, and they're all just birds. Why? I mean, why not just make one bird? You know, the people in Vanuatu just believe in pigeons. That's it. That's all they... Every bird's a pigeon. Okay, so uh, why not just make pigeons? I mean, why, why make parrots? Why make lorikeets? Why make finches? Why, why make all these different birds? Why bother? You know, we had a couple of hawks flying around the other day. We were sitting back veranda having lunch. There were a couple of hawks flying around. Why? Why, why did God make all these different animals and all these different birds? Why? Because he wanted to show to you and I his power. His power. Now we can illustrate this with a simple thing like a watch. You and I know there's a watchmaker every time we look at a watch, don't we? We know this just does happen. You know, there's not somebody sitting in a jeweler's shop and they just throw a bunch of stuff into a box and sit there and shake it for a while and then all of a sudden they give you a watch. We know there's a watchmaker behind the watch. And creation, similarly, is clearly seen so that man can learn that there's a creator behind the creation. Just as a person can learn a lot about the character of an artist by looking at the painting that he has painted, you and I can look at, uh, learn an awful lot about the creator by looking at the painting he's painted, which is creation. By viewing creation, we know about his eternal power. You need to think about it. To make everything he's made out of nothing speaks of his power. God's creation is no small thing. It's vast. It's hard to comprehend. And therefore you and I can see in his creation his eternal power. A man's without excuse. By looking at creation, we can also know about his Godhead. It says even his eternal power and Godhead or his divine nature. It's the only time in the New Testament this word Godhead is used. And it speaks of his divine attributes. It's, it talks about this. It's knowing about God. It's not knowing him personally. From creation, mankind can learn that there is a God. They can't get to know him personally through creation but they can know he exists 
Mankind cannot know God in a personal way unless God reveals himself to us in a special way. That kind of knowledge comes through the Son of God is real in the Word of God. In theology, we call this general revelation a special revelation. General revelation is creation. That God has revealed his eternal power and Godhead through creation. Man can know that God exists. But if you're going to know the Savior, then you need special revelation. As God has revealed himself to us through his Son and through the Word of God. So that we might know that the God who created us loves us. That the God who created us wants to save us. The God who created us sent his son to die for us. That we might be saved. The God who created us is the judge of the universe. But he doesn't want anyone to perish. <laughs> Creation can tell us that a God exists. Mankind needs special revelation to know that he died to save them. Man looks at creation. Creation tells them that there must be a God. The one who made all of this and he must be worthy of our praise. Since all mankind has creation, Paul says they were without excuse. That reaches the end of verse 20. So that they are without excuse. It doesn't matter where a person lives. Whether he lives in Australia or lives in the darkest parts of Africa, he is without excuse and she is without excuse because God has made himself known to them by creation. They can know his power. They can know his Godhead. They can know that he exists by creation. And anybody who really believes that God exists, believes that God is the creator, and earnestly seeks him, based upon that knowledge, God says he will Give them further knowledge. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Through creation you can believe that he is. And if they diligently seek him, God will reward them. God will provide the means by which they can hear the gospel and be saved. No one can say God is unfair. Simply put, they could hear if they wanted to hear. Remember this, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God does not want anyone to go to hell. What more could God do than paint this tapestry for you and I, this wonderful painting for you and I called creation, and God's crying out in every single part of his creation, I exist! I'm real! I made it all! And God says, if you will... Believe in me and diligently seek me. I will make myself known unto you. What more could God do? It's like God's got a megaphone and he's broadcasting loud and hard for all to hear. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. But man's not listening. 
Man's with an excuse because God has made it abundantly clear he exists. What more could he do? In fact, he did more, didn't he? He sent his son from heaven's glory to die upon a cross. He spent 30 years, 30 odd years here on earth and ministered for three years. God himself left heaven's glory to die upon the cross of Calvary so we might all be saved. God did more. But man's with an excuse. Man can have such good knowledge of God from general revelation that God holds men responsible for that knowledge. They're without excuse. If they don't seek out God but reject him, they will be held accountable. If they turn from general knowledge that they have, they forfeit any further knowledge. We go on to read in verse 21 to 26. He explains all this to us. He says, because that, which, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like uncorruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creepy things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this cause God gave them up to vile affection, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lusts, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat, and so it goes on, and we'll look at those verses in weeks to come. Mankind is without excuse. Beloved, that's why personal evangelism and missions are so important. There are masses of people out there who have not responded to the message of creation. And what they need to hear is they need to hear that the God of creation is the God who wants to save them. We have an obligation to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have an obligation to be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, because man needs to hear the good news. Of salvation. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of mankind so they cannot see. We must go and point them to the Creator so they may be saved. Next time we'll see the next witness that's called to testify against man to demonstrate that they are guilty before God because the Apostle's not finished yet. He is going to demonstrate during these three chapters that we are guilty. He's going to spend three chapters proving that we're sinners before he tells us about a Savior who died to save us. But today, mankind is under God's condemnation. And man needs to hear the gospel and be urged to come to Christ for forgiveness. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 tells us, How shall they call upon him who have not believed? Now shall they believe in him who have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Man might be without excuse. But beloved, man still needs the gospel. Without the preaching of the cross, man cannot be saved. Let's be diligent. 
to faith, be faithful, to faithfully seek opportunities each week to let mankind know there's a God in heaven, the creator of all things, and that, that creator wants to save them from their sin. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Father God, for the challenge with regards to the fact that, Lord, the creation of this universe is demonstration of the existence of a holy God. Lord, help us to be moved with a challenge to go forth with the gospel so we might show mankind there is a creator and that their creator sent his son to be their savior so that they might be gloriously saved. Commend your word to our hearts this day we pray.